Our Bible reading this morning, as you can see, is Luke's account of the first Easter morning reading from Luke, chapter 24. And Luke writes this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Uh, While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and in their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, "Why, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the disciples, but they didn't believe the women, because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up. And ran to the tomb and bending over, saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And we leave Luke's account. A man called Jesus lived in the Holy Land. He brought a message of love to the world. Many people wanted to listen to his teachings. Jesus was put to death on a cross on Good Friday. Three days later, on the Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead to meet his friends again. Easter eggs are a reminder of these events, a symbol of hope and new life. For some, eggs represent the stone that rolled away from the tomb of Jesus. Does anybody recognize those words? Uh, Okay. If you received this year a real Easter egg, I expect all those who did receive a real Easter egg actually next door, Those words are written on the leaflet that accompanies the real Easter egg, telling the story of Easter. Uh, It's the only egg on the market that tells the story of Easter. In addition to a fair trade chocolate egg, you get the storybook that tells that story with pictures. You get a quiz and you get a banner saying, Happy Easter. I will endeavour to make sure this is available to share in coffee after the service. You might have seen that the real Easter egg has been in the headlines this week. The Daily Mail, I don't know how many Daily Mail readers we have here, but the Daily Mail ran the story that George Carey was complaining that Sainsbury's and the co-op had dropped the egg from their Easter range, citing poor sales as a reason. According to the Daily Mail, the meaningful chocolate company who produced the egg claimed to have sold a million eggs over the past five years, but their website only mentions 400,000. And the mail claims as well that when when supermarket chain was approached about stocking the egg, the response was, what has Easter got to do with the church? (laughs) It was that kind of ignorance about Easter that led Archbishop John Santamo to give the real Easter egg his support when it was first launched. Because back in 2010, British Lion Eggs commissioned a survey of 1,000 6 to 10-year-olds. What do you understand about Easter? More than half of them didn't know the religious significance of this festival. Less than half knew that it was about the resurrection of Jesus. 
One in 20 knew it was about Jesus, but thought it was something to do with Jesus' birth. More more disconcertingly, more than a quarter thought that Easter celebrated the invention of chocolate. While no less than 30% thought it marked the birth of the Easter bunny. Now that really is worrying. If I said that the Easter bunny was an American invention, that would confirm your worst prejudices against anything American. Yet, the reality is that the origins of the Easter bunny lie in Europe. The Saxons worshipped Ustra, the goddess of light and fertility. That's where we get the term Easter from. And uh, it's the, the name derives from the light coming out of the east in the dawn. And the goddess's favourite animal was the hare. Because, well, hares breed like rabbits, don't they? And it was all about fertility. And it was German immigrants to America who told their children to leave their caps and bonnets out at night at Easter. And if they had been good, they would be filled with eggs the following morning. And while the Meaningful Chocolate Company says that for some, the egg represents the stone rolled away from the tomb in which Jesus was buried, it's more likely, actually, that the practice of consuming lots of eggs at Easter goes back to the time when you weren't allowed to eat eggs during Lent. But chickens didn't realise that. They didn't stop laying eggs during Lent. And so come Easter, you had all these eggs that needed to be eaten up. Chocolate eggs, at least in this country, it was a Quaker firm by the name of J.S. Fry who produced the first chocolate egg in 1873. So, given that back in 2010, some 300 children thought that Easter was all about the birth of the Easter bunny, a bunny that lays eggs... You can see why when children were believing such a message, such nonsense, people were sufficiently concerned to try and communicate the real message of Easter in eggs like this. Does it really matter that much? After all, as long as you're not sitting a biology exam answering questions on the leperine reproductive system, does it really matter if you think that there is a bunny that lays Easter eggs? doesn't do any harm, does it? Well, it doesn't do much good either. Yet perhaps believing in the Easter bunny is testimony to the truth of what G.K. Chesterton is said to have said. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And I suppose if I have a concern about the Easter bunny, it's that people think, well, Easter's all about the Easter bunny and that's a load of nonsense. So perhaps the whole Easter thing is a load of nonsense as well. And they put Jesus in the same category. And actually, in fact, listening to the reading that we had earlier, when the disciples first heard that Jesus had risen from the dead, they thought it was a load of nonsense as well. After all, who is going to believe a story about angels rolling away a stone from the front of a tomb so a man who was dead and buried on Friday can come back to life again the following Sunday? What sense do we make of that? And people who heard the story the first time thought it is a load of rubbish. When the women came back from the tomb and said they'd seen two angels who told them that Jesus was alive, the men who had been followers of Jesus thought they were off their heads with grief and dismissed what they said as a load of rubbish, utter nonsense, a complete waste of time. And if the story had ended there, none of us would be here this morning. Something happened to make them change their minds. Because, of course, the reality is that the resurrection of Jesus is not 
on a par with the birth of the Easter Bunny. I know some of you went looking for the Easter Bunny in the town centre yesterday. I don't know whether you found the Easter Bunny or not. If you did, it would not have been a life-changing experience for you. I was disconcerted walking on the way in Aaron Canal for Sue to say to me, there's the Easter Bunny. But it was only someone dressed as the Easter Bunny, so my worldview remained intact. (laughs) But if you were to meet Jesus, that would be a life-changing experience for you. Because as Jack said, everything is different. Because Jesus is not on the level of, of, of a legend or a myth or a nice story. Jesus is not to be equated with an egg-laying Easter bunny. In the Gospels, we have four different accounts of his life, inspired stories told by people who'd met Jesus for themselves and whose lives were irrevocably changed for the better by having done so. And nor are we entirely dependent upon Gospels for evidence that Jesus was a real person, people who are fans of Jesus, non-Christians historians of the day, such as Tacitus and Josephus and possibly also Suetonius, all mention him. He is a real historical figure. And the resurrection? What's that all about? How can you possibly believe in that? Well, something must have happened to turn those frightened, disbelieving and demoralised men into people who are willing to suffer martyrdom for their refusal to back down from the claim that against all odds and against universal human experience, God had raised Jesus, his son, from the dead. The tomb in which he had been placed was empty. Jesus was really alive, meeting people face to face and convincing them of that. And if Jesus really is alive, then the consequences are enormous because the resurrection of Jesus means that death is not the end. This life is not all there is. The resurrection of Jesus means that God is real. Otherwise, how else could Jesus have been risen from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus marks him out as being absolutely unique in terms of the religious leaders of the world because he's the only one who isn't dead and buried. He's the only one whose followers if they venerate a tomb at all, venerate an empty tomb. Well, two of them actually, but they're both equally empty. If Jesus rose from the dead, then that means that he knew what he was talking about when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And as the women were reminded by the angel, he said that he would be betrayed. He said that he'd be crucified. He said that he would be raised to life the third day. He saw it all coming and his predictions were right on the nail. And if he got that right, presumably he got a lot of other things right as well. And therefore he's someone we really ought to listen to. Someone who predicted his own death and resurrection and is alive. Definitely worth listening to when we pause to think about what might happen to us when we die. And if Jesus knew all along what was going to happen, if he knew he was going to die, if he knew he was going to rise again, if it was all planned in advance, then the crucifixion wasn't some ghastly mistake on his part. It was all part of the plan from the beginning that he should die on the cross. To what purpose? So that in the person of his son, God should bear our pain, our suffering, our guilt, our rejection, our injustice and our death. 
on the cross, on the cross, all the hatred and violence and evil and inhumanity of the world was turned with full and pitiless force upon the Son of God, and he took it all, was crucified with it, died with it, and was buried with it, and rose again the third day, having overcome it all. And as risen Lord, he offers us his love for our hatred, his forgiveness for our failure, his acceptance for our rejection, his spirit for our emptiness, his peace for our anxiety, his life for our death, his hope for our despair, his relationship with God as Father for our abandonment. As Jack said, nothing is as it used to be because Jesus is alive. And that may be a huge thing to take on board, but it's not nonsense. One of the turning points in my life was when I went to church and the sermon was preached, do you but have to believe in Jesus to be a Christian? And I kind of thought I probably was because, you know, christened, born in this country, been to church occasionally. The answer came back clearly, yes, you can't be a Christian without believing in Jesus. And that was a challenge, because I thought probably God was real, but all that stuff about the resurrection, that was a big thing to take on board. But it is an essential part of the Christian faith. The recognition that Jesus is risen. Difficult to accept, but it's not nonsense. The first disciples were inclined to dismiss it. And actually, nothing less than a personal encounter with Jesus was ever going to be enough to convince them otherwise. And here I come up against a brick wall because a personal encounter with Jesus is something that I cannot give anybody else. Can't manufacture it, can't make it, can't persuade you into it, can't deliver it to you on a plate here this morning. However persuasive I might try and make my words, they will never be enough to change anybody into being a follower of Jesus. Because an encounter with Jesus is only something Jesus can do. And faith itself is God's gift. Only Christ can make himself known. And I guess the only way you will ever really know for yourself that Jesus is alive is if he enters your heart by his Holy Spirit. And for that to happen, you need to invite him in yourself. But down through the centuries, millions of people have done that and found him to be real. And you could do that this morning. What he looks for is an open mind and an open heart. And for those who seek him, he's prepared to be found. Because he is a real person. He is alive. He wants to be found by you. He wants to be your Lord and Saviour if you open your heart to him this Easter time. I'm going to close by praying a prayer. And if If you feel like you can make it your own, please join in in saying Amen at the end. Let's pray. When we walk in darkness, Jesus, you promise that you will be there with us. When we kneel in weakness, Jesus, you promise to be there for us. When we feel worthless, Jesus, you set your love upon us. When we need forgiveness, you are the one 
who brings it to us. And when we search for your grace, you are the one who makes yourself known. Lord Jesus, we can't see you here this morning. Some of us aren't sure whether we believe in you or not. But some of us want to. Speak your word of life into my heart. Give me the ability to entrust my life to you. And come into my life with the power of your love, with the grace of your forgiveness, with the hope of your resurrection life. And change me and make me a new person. Give me the wisdom to know how I should live. The will to want to do what is right. The courage to undertake it. The perseverance to stay with it. And the strength to complete it. I ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.